somehow I caught into some conversation with some friends and uh, fasting came up. I thought, wow, that's the dumbest idea ever, right? That's what I, my initial reaction, and that's almost everybody's initial reaction. I thought I was going to die when I did my 36-hour fast. <laughs> how do you, am I literally going to die? It's like, how are you doing that? Exactly. And and it's it, the people have been pushed out of this idea of fasting for so long, but when you go back in history, it's all over, all over the place, right? Every single major religion has this. So that's why I said, okay, there was nobody doing it. I mean, we evolved. Like, there's, there's like, you know, famine and feast cycles all the time in, in prehistoric, you know, human, in prehistoric humans. I mean, we were animals, right? Like, you gotta hunt, you gotta, you know, starve a little bit, you gotta find your next. And there's meal. so many myths around fasting. So. What what I did was nobody was using it therapeutically at the time, so I just kind of made it up as I went. We've been doing it for quite a few years now, so we have a large experience with it. But as we understood more and more about it, there's actually so many interesting things. So you're talking about enhancing performance, and there's actually the cognitive performance, I think, is totally fascinating because there is a huge advantage to fasting. And you can actually start to look back at some of the studies that people have done on fasting and realize that there is a uh, significant advantage. So the ancient Greeks, this is 2,000 years ago, fasted a lot. So all the Hippocrates, Plato, all those guys fasted, not because they needed to lose weight. There was very little obesity and virtually no diabetes at the time. But the reason they fasted was because they understood that it made their cognitive function much, much higher. They're working on a different level. And we still talk about the great Greek thinkers now. And that's that was their kind of secret sauce. And everybody thinks, wow, if I don't eat, I'm not going to be able to concentrate. It's actually the exact opposite once you start understanding. So think about a time you ate a huge meal, like Thanksgiving is coming up, right? You ate a huge meal. Well, do you feel really mentally sharp? No. You feel sluggish. You want right? to go to. You want to go to. Want to go to sleep. <laughs> We've all been there. But on the other hand, I think a lot of people use the word hangry, right? On the other hand, I think a lot of people use the word hangry, where they say, "Oh man, by the time lunch comes around, I'm I'm hangry. I gotta eat, or I get a headache. I'm in a bad yeah. mood." You're telling me I'm not only gonna skip lunch, I'm also gonna skip breakfast and dinner. Like no, no way. Yeah, and that happens if you're on a if you're on a very high carbohydrate diet. That does happen. You get these insulin spikes, you got glucose spikes. So that's why when you eat bacon and eggs, and again, everybody knows this, if you eat a big protein and fat meal at the beginning of the day, you know, three eggs and three sausage, you're really just not that hungry for that whole morning. You eat a couple of slices of toast and some sugary cereal, your insulin spikes up, then it spikes down, and then you get that big crash at 10.30, then you go, oh, I need a muffin or I need a donut, right? Then you get that big spike up, then you get that big spike down, and then at lunch you're like, oh yeah, I could uh, you know, really use some pasta, right? Then you get the big spike up, spike down. And people assume that that eating is what stops the hunger, so therefore it's like, wow, good thing I ate a, that donut, right? It's like, okay, well, the donut <laughs> is what may cause the problem. Whereas it's a it's, spiral, it's a total again. spiral. Like spiral. if you look at uh, satiety, for example, things like fat and protein. So if you eat protein, um, you will stimulate hormones in your body, incretins. There's peptide YY and cholecystokinin for fat, which are satiety factors, right? So you eat fat, you eat protein. Your body says, "I'm full." You eat refined carbohydrates, you stimulate none of those satiety factors, you can eat again. So 
again, think about it for a second. You've just eaten a huge meal. You went to the buffet. You had a huge meal, right? Now, could you sit down and have two pork chops? No, it's like, man, that's nauseating, right? So the satiety factors are very strong. But if you had this big meal and said, oh, yeah, do you want some uh, candy or some apple pie or some you know, highly refined carbohydrates, which is what desserts mostly are, chocolate cake or whatever, you're like, yeah, I could do that, right? And we all know that. As kids, we called it the second stomach. You have a second stomach for desserts, right? The reason is those highly refined carbohydrates do not stimulate satiety hormones. Therefore, you can keep packing them down, right, without feeling full. And again, think about it for a second. I, I used to wonder about this as a kid, that you could eat a big meal, which has, say, 500 calories, and drink water and be the same fullness as if you ate a big meal and drank and, and had a big thing of Coke. Now, that Coke has 250 calories, 300 calories, or the big gulp of pop, whatever. It's like, how come those calories doesn't turn into you feeling more full? Why? Because it's all sugar. There's no satiety hormones that are activated, right? And that's the, that's the reason why you can't eat all those refined carbohydrates because they won't make you full. Then you'll eat again. You'll get hangry and so on. Fasting is completely <laughs> different. In fact, the thing about hunger is actually quite interesting because hunger actually, when you're doing extended fast, hunger, first of all, comes in waves. It's not constant. So everybody assumes that it's just going to get worse and worse. But in reality, what happens is when it passes, it passes. So when lunchtime passes and I haven't eaten, I feel like I'm fine until dinner time because it goes in a wave. What you've done in essence is with fasting is you've changed the hormones, which you don't do with caloric restriction, which is the major difference. But what you're doing is you're basically feeding your body with your body fat, right? So imagine if you're fasting for, say, seven days, like Jimmy Moore did 21 days, my co-author on this uh, other book, um, The Complete Guide to Fasting, what he's doing is his body is actually eating breakfast, lunch, and dinner of fat, right? And after about three, four days, the hunger actually goes down. So this is the one thing that we see. We've treated, you know, a thousand patients. And the one thing they're always surprised at is they said, I thought I could never do this because I thought I would be super hungry all the time. I actually can't eat very much anymore. And then I get full. I'm like, perfect. That is exactly what we want. And he says, I think my stomach shrunk. I'm like, well, your stomach didn't actually physically shrink, but that's what it what it feels like because now you're resetting your body set weight downwards and you're actually working with your body to lose weight. Now your body wants yeah. to be at that lower weight, which is great. So now yeah. as soon as you get full, you get full and you can't eat anymore, which is great because before if your body weight's high, you want to keep eating and you're, 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 you're using willpower to stop yourself, but that doesn't get you very right. far. I think you brought up a couple of good notions, and I want to bring us back on the sidetrack, back into the cognitive enhancement part, because I think that we're going to a very interesting train of thought there. Um, and you're mentioning breaking down fats as an energy source. So a lot of the interesting, I'm curious to uh, get your thoughts around, you know, why you think, what, what do you think the mechanisms are for increasing cognitive function uh, while fasting? Is that the ketone met met metabolism? I think, it, I think it certainly does have a lot to do with the ketones, but I think that there's actually more to it than that. And 
In terms of cognitive um, ability, I think that there's actually two parts which I think are interesting, which I'll try and touch on. Is the one, the cognitive boost, and two is Alzheimer's disease, which I think that the data coming out of that are totally fascinating. So in I've terms heard of like that, people almost call Alzheimer's diabetes type three. I think you might be touching upon some. Yeah, of Yeah, and that's that's kind of yeah. the idea. So and and also, if you remind me if I don't talk about it, the autophagy, which is again super hot topic. Um, so what happens during fasting is that your body has very little glucose, right? Because you're not eating sugar. So you switch over your metabolism to a fat metabolism. Your brain uses a lot of glucose. And what's um, a huge, huge myth that's always perpetuated is that your body needs 130 grams of carbohydrate a day. Your brain needs 130. Otherwise, you're shut down, right? It's like, okay, right. So if I don't eat for 24 hours, I should be a blubbering idiot, right? That doesn't happen because what happens is that after your glucose stores run out, your body produces ketones, which can supply up to 75% of the energy needs of the brain. That's why you don't actually need 130 grams of carbohydrates a day. It's actually sort of true. You just don't need to eat 130 grams of carbohydrates a day. Your body will provide the glucose that it needs. So it's a process called gluconeogenesis. It will actually manufacture glucose for your brain. The rest of it runs on breaking down protein, right? Breaking down breaking some... down proteins and breaking down fat. You got to remember that fat is called a triglyceride, which is a glycerol backbone attached to three fatty acids. You break the three fatty acids off and your your uh, muscles and so on can use those, but the glycerol gets turned into glucose, which goes to the brain. But you can't supply the entire energy needs of the brain by glucose. There's too much for that. So you produce from the fat ketone bodies, which cross the blood-brain barrier, go in. And it's thought and that- that happens in the liver, just to help people follow along. So the fatty acids that break off get turned into ketone bodies, beta-hydroxybutyrate, and a couple other minor uh, ketone bodies. But you know, BHB is the primary one that's in the liver. And as you mentioned, it is permeable across the blood-brain barrier, and it ends up being this fuel for the brain. Yeah, and it's thought that a lot of the brain actually functions a lot at a lot higher level on ketones. So some people, um, if you look back, there's a if you look back in history, there was a fascinating book called Unbroken by Laura Hillenbrand, which is about Japanese uh, American prisoners of war in Japan in World War II. And in it, as I was reading it, I was totally fascinated because they say that. They, they noticed these prisoners were doing absolutely incredible mental things. One guy would read a book entirely from memory. And another guy learned Norwegian in a week. And they were all very blasé about it because they're like, oh, yeah, it's the astonishing mental clarity of starvation. I'm like, whoa, this is incredible because starvation is uncontrolled fasting like fasting is the controlled version of not eating starvation is the uncontrolled version of not eating i'm like how is it that these people first of all they face it every day so they kind of knew what was going on but we've forgotten that but you can read these accounts through history where people have realized that when you don't eat your brain goes into like hyperdrive right it's it's working at such an incredible level that you cannot even comprehend. 
because right. the ketones are there and it's it's working so well. So now what people have done is looked at caloric restriction, which is kind of a watered down version of it, of fasting. But that's what they yep. do in the laboratories and looked at memory. And you can clearly see that when you restrict calories, memory goes way up. And the other thing that's really interesting is in terms of all. I, I haven't seen that in healthy human models yet. Usually it's, the, the it's, cognition is in rat model, right? But there's a lot of rat ones. Replic- there's uh, there's yeah. a few small ones in humans as well. And this is where a, a lot of the things come out. So Alzheimer's disease is a huge problem, right? And Alzheimer's disease is caused by these abnormal proteins that kind of gum up the brain, right? So what you stimulate during fasting is a process called autophagy, okay? And this is a super hot topic because one of the key researchers of autophagy won the 2016 Nobel Prize for Medicine. So what is autophagy? Autophagy is a process where your body breaks down these old, junky old proteins and burns them for sugar, right? And everybody thinks that getting rid of uh, protein is bad, but it's actually really good because if you want to, uh, if you have a disease like Alzheimer's disease example, which is all this excessive protein that's gumming up your brain. If you can do fasting and all of a sudden encourage your body to get rid of all this excess protein, you are going to increase the ability of your brain to work. So you see that in those small human trials where cognition increases, memory increases, all the cognitive function increases. You can see it back in history where people have these amazing uh, things. The ancient Greeks, for example, there are stories of them forcing people to fast so so the head philosopher whoever can't remember if it's plato or one of these he would force his students to fast for like 40 days or something like that and then it's like come back when you've done that right (laughs) because you're too dumb otherwise that was the implication which i think is just an amazing story and it's like okay so here's this super boost to mental capacity that's available for free that's insane right and and People have tried to shortcut this, right, with exogenous ketones, right? So people sell this exogenous ketones. But it doesn't really work because if you still have glucose floating around your brain, your brain may just say, hey, why don't I just use this glucose? I'm used to it anyway. There's ketones running around, but hey, I don't know if it's that good. I mean, there's 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 anecdotal I've evidence seen, everywhere. Yeah, I think we've seen some – I've seen some data that show that – if you have high enough, high enough levels of exogenous ketones, you can actually, you know, when I actually tried some ketone esters, um, I was running a blood glucose monitor and it dropped my, you know, after 30 minutes, it dropped my blood glucose levels from 6.7 millimolar per liter to five. And I got sort of that keto head rush that some people will say. So I think there's, you know, I think there's a lot of different types of exogenous ketones. And I think that can be its own, you know, separate conversation around, you know, the ketone salts, you know, uh, ketone precursors like MCT oils or, you know, ketone esters a little bit more pure. But I think, you know, there. Well, one of the fascinating things is that, so they're looking at ketones in, um, so Dominic D'Agostino, who does a lot of the research into that. Right. He does it for the Department of Defense, right? Because they're looking for physical enhancement and cognitive enhancement. We haven't talked about the physical enhancement. So the what's interesting is that it doesn't even make any sense. Like if you're sending soldiers into combat and packing them, you know, some exogenous ketones, here you go. Why don't you just fast them? They have like a month worth of food carried on their own body, right? 
if you can you if they're not eating, then they're going to start burning that fat. They're going to have mega ketones. They're going to have this cognitive boost, this physical boost. And it's like that's amazing. And it's all for free and you don't have to weigh them down with exogenous ketones or even food, right? Right. It's like that's amazing. So now think about the astronauts going to Mars, right? This big thing about going to Mars, right? Oh, how are we going to do the food? Why don't you just not have them eat, right? If you don't eat, so a fast of one day burns about a half a pound of fat, roughly. So if you're, you've got about 30 pounds overweight, if you're, and most of us have that amount of fat, right? So an ultra lean person is about 10% fat. These are the, the marathon runners that look like little sticks, right? They're about 10% body fat, 5 to 10. So if you're 150 pounds and you're 10% body fat, that's 15 pounds of fat. Most of us are nowhere close to that, right? But, but so, I would be a devil's advocate here. I mean, glucose is really beneficial for you know power, right? Like short, like basically burst and you know burst bursting. Um, so if you just have, literally have like no, I think an optimal. I I think you know probably something more optimal would be like cycling with some glucose and, 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 and also, you know, fasting in certain areas. But I imagine that if you're constantly in uh, a fasted state, your, your muscles, I mean, glucose is still a very, you know, powerful energy source and readily available energy source, right? Um, that's, it depends, right? So if you go from glucose to fat, there's actually a period of adaptation called keto adaptation, which takes a couple of weeks. But you got to realize that people at the very highest levels are doing, definitely. they're already there. So uh, Froome, who won the Tour de France, he is all talking ketogenic stuff, right? LeBron James talking, you know, super low carb, right? And he, he, um, uh, Kobe Bryant, right, who prolonged his career. They're all doing it, right? And these are guys who depend, their livelihood depends on being at peak athletic performance. So other guys like Sammy Einikin, who rode from like, um, he, 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 he did this, uh, he, he rode, him and his wife rode from, I think, San Francisco to Hawaii, right? They all did training in the fasted state. So you got to realize that fasting actually provides a physical boost as well. So this is kind of another huge, huge area that people are getting into. So if you look at, uh, you know, national teams, uh, rugby, cricket, they're all going low carb. Why? Because the thing about training in the fasted state is that you have to look at the hormonal adaptations. So what happens is that your noradrenaline goes up, your sympathetic system goes up. It's a general activation and uh, growth hormone goes up. Those are also called counter-regulatory hormones. They counter the effect of insulin. Insulin makes your blood glucose goes down. This makes your blood glucose goes up. So if you're in the fasted state, you want your body to start pulling out some of that glucose, putting it into the blood. So those are the counter-regulatory hormones. So your adrenaline level goes up, noradrenaline to add to be specific, and your growth hormone goes up. The noradrenaline goes up means you have a lot of energy. That's what people find. They have more energy, which means you can train harder. Then your growth hormone is up so that when you start eating again, you recover faster. That's a huge advantage for any athlete. Like if you can also, train harder. I would, add, I would add that the oxidative stress of ketosis is less than that of breaking down glucose. 
right? Oh, yeah. Like that, that, that because you're not producing lactic acid buildup, that, that experience of like feeling the burn is yeah. also less, less. And again, hitting the wall, which is bonking or whatever that happens when your body is used to using glucose and it's, it runs out of glucose, right? But you have almost unlimited supplies of fat. So if you train your body to burn fat, you almost cannot hit the wall or bonk or whatever in the ultra-endurance. Ultra-endurance guys have all gone over to super low-carb. You can actually measure, if you do muscle biopsies, you can actually measure that the, the gene products that are involved in fatty acid oxidation increases as you go. So, And again, you can look at things like VO2. So if you do four days of fasting, you actually see no decrease in VO2, which means that your capacity to do exercise is actually higher than when you started the fast. So four days of no food and your resting metabolic rate, and this is super important for weight loss, is higher. Remember I said that when you try and cut your calories, 500 calories a day, your resting metabolic rate or your BMR, basal metabolic rate, goes down. It does not do that in fasting. And that's why people can keep their weight off with fasting because you don't have that disadvantage. So the biggest loser, for example, did this. They used a caloric reduction model, right? And then what they did was they measured their metabolic rate. At the end of it, they're burning 780 calories a day less, right? That's a huge disadvantage. That means simply to stay still, you have to eat 700 plus calories less per day. And that's the reason everybody fails is because your metabolic rate slows down. And they call this starvation mode. So what's ironic is that caloric reduction puts you into starvation mode. But what doesn't put you into starvation mode is actual starvation because the controlled version, fasting. So four days of no food, you're at 10% higher metabolic rate. So you're feeling good. You're generating body heat. Your brain is working. And your VO2 is like 10% higher. You have as much or more exercise capacity than you did before. Once you get through the adaptation phase, then the muscles start using it too because the glucose is a good source of energy, but the muscle glycogen is carried separately from the liver glycogen. So yes, it can still use it on a short term, but again, with the lactic acid, with the, you know, with the hitting the wall, there's all these advantages with fasting slash low carb, which is getting you over to burning sort of a fatty acids, like burning fat versus burning just a so i'm curious event. to dive into like the low carb i mean like a, a strict ketogenic diet is 70 percent calorie from fat 15 15 from carb and protein um and you know i think that seems like a very realistic that's like very hard to maintain right like 70 percent from Not fat easy. is super hard um and some of our community members you know They'll bring sticks and they're, they're ketogenic, you know, you know, hardcore keto followers. You know, I, I'm thinking of one of our members. Her name is Ayumi and she's a software engineer and, uh, and uh, an aspiring DJ that goes by the name of Keto God. That's literally her DJ name. <laughs> um, she brings sticks of butter to breakfast so she, she can get enough fat calories. Um, obviously, there's interesting you know, data that show that, hey, you know, replacing, you know, just eating a ton of saturated fats as in, in, in animal fat isn't necessarily great for heart health. Uh, you probably want to, you know, supplement with at least polyunsaturated fats, etc. cetera. Um, 
for those who are trying to eke out performance benefits, as you mentioned, um, how would one do that realistically? Or, or is it just like, hey, you got to be crazy disciplined now? No, you don't have to because the thing is that the fasting is not nearly as hard as people say. So rather than right. bringing sticks of butter, why don't you just not eat, right? If you don't eat, if you fast, what happens? Your body switches to burning body fat. So good, right? Instead of burning that butter that you brought in and eating butter is super gross, right? Well, not super yeah. gross, but it's a little bit gross. Um, <laughs> uh, why don't you just eat body fat? right? It's easy. You drink your coffee, drink your green tea, drink whatever, stay hydrated, and let your body eat the body fat. That's 100% fat, right? Ketones will go up. It's a short way to get into ketosis. And that means you can come in and out of ketosis whenever you want, because you can always bring it on, you can bring it off. There's so many advantages to the fasting, right? It's like, that's why fasting is not the same as spreading it out over 24 hours, right? Because what if I eat so some days, for instance, I'll eat 250 calories, right? But what, the way you have to think of it is that, oh, hey, I ate, you know, 500 calories of body fat at breakfast. I ate, uh, you know, seven, 800 calories of body fat for lunch, and I'm eating interesting to look at it. Yeah. of uh, dinner. So what the hell is wrong with that, right? But everybody say, oh, you know, 250, you're going to go into starvation. No, I'm not. I'm burning body fat because I want to. And now, hey, that's like a 90% fat diet. Good thing most of it is body fat, right? So then you start to get into the ketosis again. And if you don't want to do that because you like to eat donuts, then you can. You'll break it. But next week, you can go back in and say, hey, guess what? I'm going back. I'm fasting again. I'm going to start burning all that body fat I put on because I ate all those donuts, right? So it's, it's flexible, right? There's so many advantages to the fasting. Because as opposed to as opposed to trying to keep a ketogenic diet but eating yeah. constantly. Yeah. yeah which it's, is I, I think the big thing hard. that we've seen is yeah, you basically make be really disciplined for a short burst of time where, you know, willpower is limited. Focus that on controlled, you know, sets of time and then you can have breaks and you can get back onto it as opposed to like, hey, yeah. And and the be thing disciplined is disciplined forever. Yeah, the thing is that the fasting is completely different than any other diet. It's almost the anti-diet, right? Because it's not making things more complicated. Like all our lives are complicated. It's making things simple, right? You don't have to think, think what you're going to eat. You don't have to think, oh, how many, what's your macros? You don't have to think, oh, I have to go shopping. I have to get this Just organic don't eat. food. Just don't <laughs> eat, right? Yeah. There's no shopping. There's no food costs. There's no cleaning up. Oh, you get an extra 45 minutes because you didn't eat lunch. Oh, hey, you get an extra half an hour because you didn't eat breakfast. Oh, hey, you know, you're saving time. You're saving money. It's like amazing, right? That's amazing. And you're going to get the cognitive boost. You're going to get the physical boost. You can use it when you want to. Hey, you're on vacation. You're not going to be the guy who never eats dessert, right? You're not going to be the guy at the wedding who say, oh, no, I can't eat wedding cake, right? You can do it because you know that next week you can go back in and fast and burn all that off, right? So it's in it, because the whole idea of fasting is not something you're going to do. It's something that you're going to not do, right? So it's the opposite of everything, right? Ketogenic diets are complex. That was the problem that I had when I tried to put people on low-carb diets. It's adding complexity to their lives, right? I'm trying to free people from that, right? And uh, you, you realize when you do it for a while, the tyranny of the breakfast, lunch, dinner, and even worse, if you have to throw in all your snacks, 
oh, what am I going to have for breakfast? I'm not even hungry. Oh, but you got to eat breakfast. I'm like, okay, well, eating when you're not hungry is not a winning strategy, right? Grab your coffee and go. That's what I do almost. Hey, one, one question One question I wanted to make sure that we, we touched on during this conversation was just that there's a different hormonal system from men to women. And I think that it's a common question that we get of, of from women is, is fasting okay for me? It's a different hormonal balance. Uh, I don't want to... Uh, do something that's not good for me personally. Can you comment yeah. a bit on the difference yeah, so, in in effect there? Yeah, like I, I think we've gotten feedback where, hey, you know, longer fast for women, you know, people start, you know, losing their cycles, losing, you know, getting their cycles off off balance. Yeah. First of all, for for uh, for fasting for women is fine. We have treated hundreds and hundreds of women, and there's no problem. There's no problem with women in fasting. And again, you go back into human history. People have been fasting for at least 5,000 years, right? Look at the Muslims, Ramadan. Look at uh, the Buddhists and all the Hindus and uh, Mormons. All these people who fast, the women do it too. And they have no problem, right? Because the thing is that the hormone that, we're, that, that is involved in eating predominantly is insulin, insulin glucagon. Women are, the difference between men and women is sex hormone, estrogens. So yes, there is a point, there is a lower point where you have, when you fall below a certain body fat percentage that you will lose your cycles, right? But after that, it's no problem. In fact, some of the people who are on the overweight side, they get this polycystic ovarian syndrome where, where they're improved. So it's, it's just a giant myth. If you read, and it got very popular because one person wrote a blog post about it, talked about a bunch of rat studies, obviously had never fasted herself or never supervised people fasting and said, oh, it's really bad. And then Mark Sisson reposted that and everybody in the world thinks what women shouldn't fast. I'm like, okay, well, what do you think happened in 1800? Like women who didn't have anything to eat or fasted because of religious purposes, what, all of a sudden they didn't have children anymore? Like, well, why do you maybe think? Maybe the argument is like maybe their fertility goes down during that fasted state, right? Like the body sort of conserves, like, hey, you know, there's less if, fat in our if, bodies yeah. now. We shouldn't have babies, so I'm gonna, we're going to shut yeah. down. If you're at that lower level, definitely, right. right? So if your body mass index is below 20, I say you shouldn't fast, right? Obviously. If right. your weight is too low, you should not fast. If you're malnourished, you shouldn't fast. That's just common sense, right? But if your body mass index is 30 and you're 50 pounds overweight and you're a woman, yes, it's okay, right? How about you're like, a healthy woman that wants to get some of the enhancements aspects? Yeah, again, it's no problem because the thing is that you don't what you don't want to do is try and mix the fasting with caloric restriction, right? Your body will tell you what you need. So if you don't eat for 24 hours, then you eat. Yes, you may eat 2000 calories. You may eat your full day's worth. You got to listen to your body and eat it, right? You don't want to say, "Oh, whoa, you know, now I want to cut down this much to 500 calories so I lose some weight." You don't want to mix the two up, right? It's not about calories. So you got to listen to your body because you can eat the same number of calories. There's still a difference in terms of insulin sensitivity. And they've done these studies where they've matched the calorie for calorie but had one group do it as a steady reduction and one do it as an intermittent reduction. And there are big differences in, in insulin and insulin sensitivity. So there are still benefits to doing it even if you match it calorie for calorie. So that's what's important. It's, that's what I'm saying. The frequency of how you eat still makes a difference. You can still eat the same amount, but change the timing of it and get those benefits. And people are kind of crazy because it's like 
you know, when I ask people to do fasting blood work, they fast. When I ask people to do it for a routine colonoscopy, so everybody over the age of 55 is supposed to get a colonoscopy, right. fast for either 24 or 48 hours before to get rid of all the stool so that people can see. Nobody ever raises a fuss. Oh, I'm a woman. I can't fast. I'm like, yes, everybody does that. Or you do an ultrasound and they tell you not to eat. Or you go in for an operation and you tell, don't eat. You're fasting. That's it, right? Everybody's got this in their heads that this is such a crazy, crazy thing. But remember, the word itself, breakfast, break fast, means that fasting is a part of everyday life. It's normal. It's only the flip side of eating. And you mm -hmm. want your eating and your fasting to be balanced, right? What we've done is we've put people into the state where we think they have to be in the fed state constantly. And people are sick because of it. So you've got to balance them. I'm not saying you should fast all the time, like become anorexic, anorexia nervosa. But you've got to make them sure they're balanced. So if you're too far one way into the fed state, then you've got to bring it back. Good. I mean, I think that's good clarity. And hopefully, you know, we want to get you know give us you know give you the platform keep exp you know spreading that good knowledge and really fundamental science because so, i think that's like one of the interesting things about you know this whole space right everyone it's like a lot of different cycles of thinking every five years and it's like okay let's like really focus on the things that we believe you know come grounded from true fundamental science yeah yeah and and I think it is it is coming around. We've spent so long trying to kind of suppress this uh, idea that fasting can be good. But yeah. if you think about it... Yeah, what do you think about the whole thing? I feel like we're at a tipping point. I think like from the New York Times article, you know, really opening up the sugar lobby as a, you know, pushing, you know, different, uh, you know, health associations, doctor groups. I feel like we're at a tipping point. I mean, we're just, we're just seeing the growth of the We Fast group. And I think fasting is the new exercise. In, in, in intermittent fasting... Yeah. Uh, I feel like it's like at the tipping point. I mean, I'm sure our listeners, I think it's a tipping point. Like, what do you think from your, you know, sort of the last question here as I'm sensitive to your time. Um, do you feel like it's, it's, it's a tide shift? Um, I think so. And I think that you're right. It's a grassroots movement because nobody makes money for it, but it's about the people trying to take power over their own health back into their own hands. Right, Because what they're saying is that I can take care of my weight problem, I can take care of this problem, that problem naturally without paying somebody a lot of money or taking this drug or whatever. Right, Because what people have recognized over the millennia is that fasting is not something that's harmful and it's not really a treatment for illness. What it is is really a treatment of wellness. This is the way you stay well. And it used to be called that, a detox, a cleanse. That's exactly what it was, right? What you did was you fasted and you cleaned your body out of all that excess glucose that was killing you, all the excess fat that was killing you, all that junky protein that is gumming up your brain and gumming up your system. Then as you fast, your human growth hormone goes up and your body starts to lay down new cells. So now what you've got is a real anti-aging process that is amazing and free. It feels like people are starting to understand it a little bit more, that yes, this is something that we can actually do, like your group, the WeFast group is amazing because what you do in these sort of groups is you're able to help each other get through it because there are problems that come up. Like, let's be honest, there are the hunger pains and there's yeah, problems with feeling... Yeah. 
you're not people, used to it. People want to have some, you know, guidelines, some rails. Exactly, and, and if you can, exactly, and that's what killed, uh, killed it because you'd be doing it yourself. You'd be getting the headaches, for example. Then you'd go talk to your friend, and your friend said you're crazy. Then you'd talk to your doctor, and the doctor said, stop it right now. You'd talk to your dietitian, and she'd say, oh, you're going into starvation mode. Stop it right now. And then you'd go, oh, yes. You know, I give up, right? But you come to a group, and they say, hey, no problem. I had that, uh, you know, the other day. This is what you do, right? And that's the power of, you know, connecting people and having that knowledge that can share this peer-to-peer to support which is really important in a group like yours, which I actually think is fantastic. Um, and and what that's what you need to do because there's so many benefits. We didn't even talk about the cancer benefits, right? People talk about and there's a huge and literature. The metabolic theory on cancer, right? The metabolic theory on cancer and yeah. also the autophagy part of things, which right. is clearing out those junky cells. And it truly is a way to clean out your body. And if you never do it, so the three most influential people in the history of the world, uh, Jesus Christ, the prophet Muhammad, and Buddha probably only agreed on one thing, which is the power of fasting. And they don't do it because <laughs> they want to kill off their parishioners, right? They do it because there's something uniquely and intrinsically good about the fast. I know. I think, I think we're here to stay, and I think we're growing. I appreciate uh, I, that last nugget of uh, morsel of, of food for thought there. I think that leaves a, a, you know, a great framework of how to think about how fasting is not some crazy new age thing. This is almost the most original, fundamental truth that you know, different religions and really just how, how we evolved as, as humans. Um, and I, 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 we have to have you back on to talk about you know, a couple of these other topics that you mentioned, cancer, and also we'd love to, you know, you know, talk about the second part of the obesity code, or I guess the second installment, uh, the, the, the fast, the full fasting guide. Yeah. Yeah, for sure. That, that, that'd be great. That was an awesome conversation with Dr. Jason Fung. I'm sure we'll all have some food to, to churn on there. And if you guys have any questions for him, Send them our way. We love uh, your questions. Are, 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 are one of our most uh, recent and most dedicated, you know, WeFast members, Doctor Manuel Lamb, has given us a ton of questions, and we and we love that. So, more of, I know more of you out there are listening. Send us a bunch of questions for the second time we bring uh, Doctor Fung on, on on the program here. Anything else you wanted to add in terms of color and, and some? Just immediate feedback and thoughts. Yeah, it's very interesting. It's interesting to see how he's thinking about things differently, how it's not just calories in and calories out, but there's certain calories, certain types of food that we eat that actually drives specific hormonal changes that A, affects our appetite, and therefore we can get into the, uh, a negative loop or, or a positive loop. And those hormonal changes can also affect cognition. And so it's very cool to see this this growing movement around medical professionals and people at large thinking about taking their own wellness into their own hands. Patch up the proximate cause, like just the symptoms. Absolutely. Yeah. I think that, you know, at some point, um, we'll probably get Dr. Fung to come visit us in San Francisco at our headquarters and we'll, we'll definitely make an event out of it and get people to come and and, and interact and, and trade ideas in person. Uh, but until then follow us on Twitter um, but you can also check out our podcast series on Apple iTunes, Google Play, YouTube, and SoundCloud. 
Um, until then, uh, we'll, 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 we'll keep thinking. Yeah, see you next time, thinkers. Peace.